Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. (laughs) That's right. That's good enough. (laughs) Oh boy. Let's dive in. Today, we have Janelle. She was part of the sex trafficking industry for 12 years, and her story of survival led her to help women just like her. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I have like my son in the background, and it's just this is how it is, the new norm with being a single mom, being a boss babe, being an entrepreneur, running a nonprofit, and having a four-year-old who just turned five at home the last four months has been just wow, intense. I can totally relate to that. I went from working full-time to part-time to nights. The one thing that struck me was when you said, you never know who you're sitting next to on an airplane and what they could be going through. People can have a smile on their face and they can be going through trauma. Through, Through hell, enslaved, you know, against their will, not even on the plane because they want to be. It's just such a reality today. Unfortunately, you know, I I definitely raised my son to to see the good, to look for the good, to be in a place of gratitude for this life that we've been blessed with and for the things that we've been blessed with. I train people to know the signs and to understand that this world we live in, unfortunately, is not all roses. And there are a lot of people that are being bought and sold right now for profit in the second largest criminal activity in the world, $150 billion global industry. And it's happening so subtly that people don't see it. And that's the issue because it's a reusable product that makes the business so much more lucrative. And when people don't know where to look or or have this preconceived notion that it's only happening in less developed countries like Thailand, Brazil, India, and things like Bangladesh, it's happening in some third world country and not here in their backyard. That's the thing that we have to make people aware of and let them know it's happening in the best of neighborhoods. I saw the human traffic stats for California, and I had no idea it was that high. California is one of the top trafficking states, along with Texas and Florida. It's really difficult for them to actually put a number on it, because when you think about there being a lot of money, traffickers are going to come here to bring their girls because they're going to be able to get more money for selling their women. Orange County is the seventh richest area in the world. So you have to think that's massive amounts of affluence and traffickers know that they're businessmen. How do traffickers find girls? Today, it's more different than when I was being trafficked. I was trafficked through the strip clubs and I met my main pimp. I met him just working at a restaurant on the strip. However, today it's so easy and so subtle. They're going online to social media. They're using the same games and things that kids play with. There's pop-up windows in almost every single game where they can start chatting with your kids and building like a rapport. And again, with COVID, everything actually went online. I work with Homeland Security and I actually talked to the head of Homeland Security that's in charge of all of the human trafficking unit. He said that they all moved into the online campsites during COVID. They just started trafficking the girls through the sites, which typically they do that anyway with the intent to get them 
them into the hotel. What is like the youngest girl that you saw doing this? It's hard to tell, honestly. There were girls that were under 18, I know for a fact. I know of girls that were in there that were there on fake IDs. That's what they're doing now. They're getting girls from high school. I think they are hitting that college age more too. They'll answer jobs for anything. Things that seem plausible, right? Most of them are traps. How did you end up being trafficked? It was a series of events because unfortunately, having grown up in the way I did as a product of the system, foster care, and having no family, but then the family that I was placed into were religious extremists. Some might call that a cult. And how I got into this was because I was a vulnerable population. Having grown up in the foster system, not having family when I got out, I was just so desperate to find love, to find connection, and to be a part of something and to escape poverty, which was my whole entire life. And so when the first person came along that really offered me all those things in a form of being my boyfriend, I just bit it. I met him working at a Hooters and he was in there having a business meeting. So I met him on what would seem very plausible terms. You know, I'm new here. He knows a lot about business. He took me out on a couple of dates. He became my boyfriend and then, well, I need help with these investments. So all these things. Now I look back, there's obviously so many red flags. You know? Can you talk about some of those red flags? Like he said, he was an NFL player. And he definitely looked the part. Vegas is a place that you don't trust those people. It was just, it was very surreal. So those were some of the signs. Like when I looked for his name, I couldn't find him. But then he said like, oh, he played under a different name. And like, it was things like that. You know, small things. When you looked at it as a whole, then I thought you're just being paranoid. There's so many people, typically key players involved in this type of entrapment. So it's typically like an organization. Is the human trafficking industry driven by just men or is it women too? During my time, I was even recruited to recruit women. I remember this being a really hard thing for me because it's like the biggest MLM, you know, of pimping because it literally was like, you know, the bottom bitch or whatever they call her. She was at either the top or the bottom, however you say it. She has all the power because she's the closest to the top. It's like they have to do less work and they more have to like oversee the girls and make sure that they're coming home on time. They're giving the money to the girl for the bottom bitch and then she's giving it to the pimp. So the more girls that you bring in, the less work you have to do and the more time you get with the prize, which is the pimp. You said that your main pimp was your boyfriend. Were you in love with him? It wasn't love. I was just starved for intimacy and I did what I knew as love. He proposed to me and he told my family he was marrying me. You're an ATM machine. If you have an ATM machine living under your roof, you're not going to just get rid of it. So that's how people have to think about it. I read that you reached out to Tony Robbins. Tell me about that. I had done a lot of healing. I work with sex and relationship coaching and intimacy, really helping people to shake the shame around their sexuality and help men and women really have more connected, intimate love lives. And I had done a lot of work and healing through Tantra. But when I met Tony, like I was just in a place in my life where I had done a lot of work healing, but I hadn't moved to the place mentally where I understood that I could do anything or anything was possible. I didn't understand the principles of business or how to run a business other than what I learned being traffic. It was a hard place. I suffered postpartum. I was in a really low place in my life. I experienced so many concussions 
conditions that I developed learning disabilities. And I was just doing everything I could to keep a roof overhead. I couldn't cope with it. I didn't know how to heal and how to undo all the damage that had been done for 10 years of my life. I didn't want to go on living like that anymore. And I commented on a post of his that spoke to me. It was from Derry Sir reaching out to me and said he wanted to help me. And then he sent me to his workshop. I took back my power at that point. So when I changed those beliefs, then I just, my life started to change in a really positive way. And I started to be able to impact more women and more survivors. Beyond Freedom is just helping victims of sex trafficking really heal and go from product to person, moving them to a place of purpose, passion, and prosperity. Most women never get that chance. They end up dead or back in the life. So it's the numbers are not in favor of survivors. How did you escape the cult you were in, land up in a strip club, get trapped in trafficking and break free? Well, that was a long process of many years, but I essentially ran away from home the day I turned 18 because I was actually a warden of the state. My family that I was living with had not fully adopted me. So I was still government property, which is quite interesting now when you think about that. I've basically always been someone's property. From there, you know, I traveled around kind of trying to find myself, even went enlisted in the army and I actually got injured in the army and came out broken, even more broken. It was around that time that I met one of my first pimps in Texas and he got me into stripping. It was very gradual. From there, I met a photographer, took me to Vegas. My photographer is actually my friend and he tried to help me get out of the situation in Texas by helping me move to Vegas, getting me involved with this modeling agency. And then from there, I, not far after is when I met my first pimp in Vegas. To escape him, I ended up faking my own death with the help of a colleague and I moved to an island in Thailand and that was the end of 2013 and I spent a year studying got pregnant, had my son, and then moved to Orange County. And I've been here ever since. It's been a massive, massive amount of work, heartache, tears. I had a lot of beautiful times early on when he was up till he was 10 months old. How did you choose Thailand? And what was that like for you? I actually grew up there. My parents were missionaries, so we lived there. Ending up back there as an adult, sitting on the island, it felt like home in a weird way. And I really loved it. And I honestly wanted to stay and not ever come back to the U.S. Your teachings and training revolves around Tantra. What is Tantra and how does it work? Yeah, so I basically learned about energy. First of all, I learned about connection and how the power of connection and intimacy with yourself is like the only and most important relationship that you'll ever have. And you have to manage that first. Then I also learned really about energy and understanding the principles of energy and that the sexual energy is really the most powerful energy in the world and that it is like the most sacred energy as well. Tantra really says like sexuality is spirituality. They're one and the same. And for me, that was the really healing aspect of my life because for so many years I disassociated from my body being trafficked all those years. When I got to embrace all that and say, oh my God, that's all a part of me and it's all divine, then I found empowerment in that. What kind of people do you work with now? Is there a stigma around Tantra? It's been both. There's just so many people that want to do this work, but they get scared, first of all, because they think, okay, am I going to be judged? How am I going to be seen if someone finds out I'm doing this work? It's interesting. I've had marketers that have marketed me that have said, well, I can't put you on my site. I can't be associated with your brand. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid. And it's the best feeling. And I wish more people would live like that. Tell me about your days as a stripper and how that evolved. The strip club, I remember my first time was actually in Oklahoma in a strip club. It was like this experience. It was so surreal. And you're forced to go on the stage and you don't know what you're doing. There's all these women that seem like flawless. And you're just, you go up there and you're like, no, 
I'm doing, you know, this very vulnerable, but there's also a lot of the bright lights on stage and they're all on you. You take the stage and then you have to like entertain this crowd and basically sell yourself. It's a very surreal experience that unless you've been in the life, it's, it's hard to describe. Did you feel self-conscious? I did in the beginning, especially because the club I worked at is one of the top three clubs in the world. They used to weigh the girls when they would walk in the door. The pressure was so immense to be this perfect Barbie doll. Did you make friends with other girls at the strip club? Of course. The one girl helped me finally get out because she didn't buy my bullshit stories. You work with various organizations to help women like yourself. How did that come about? That came about by me being encouraged and being motivated by Tony and him saying, you know, he'd love for me to come speak at some of his schools that he works with. From there, I, I turned my campus club into a nonprofit called Beyond Freedom. And then from there, I just started, you know, booking speaking gigs at different events. That is incredible. It was crazy because one time I had a girl and she needed help right then and I just put 911. And then I went to the bathroom and he called me and I was like, wow, that was quick. Like I was still peeing and I was like, hello. Could you have ever imagined that you could cultivate this level of support and resources? No, I mean, it's been like very surreal. And more importantly, and I didn't talk about this, is that I'm very vocal on social media with my story and things. And so girls from around the world are messaging me, asking me for help. And we get them into the supportive services they need. For me, just being a voice for that has been worth it because I'm just able to help so many young women. Well, I am so inspired by you. And please tell people how they can support your mission and how I can help you. With Beyond Freedom, we just need partners that are willing to do events for us, like, you know, podcast things like this, come do Facebook lives with us, get us into their communities, because we want to be able to help and educate parents and the communities and churches about how they can protect their kids. And so by them sharing me and sharing us with their network, we can first offer them value, but then at the same time, they can help us by getting us out there more and by supporting us if they want to do financially. Obviously, they can do all that on the website, freedominternational.org. But when you support survivors, you really stop the pandemic that has taken over the globe. Pimps and traffickers have labeled you a product and once a product always a product right so when these women try to go from product to person and they work so hard to do it because it's such a challenging thing to do then we have to support them so that the cycle doesn't continue i cannot wait for my dad's response this was an episode where let's give tony robbins credit he was an encouraging force in this girl's life to help her make the transition into being able to take her story and have it help other people and to be able to give her a destiny of reaching out to other people, encouraged her to be able to make her story and her 10 years of experience and make a positive impact on women that are being taken advantage of in sexual trafficking, where they again choose very vulnerable ladies that have either no family or craving for attention because they're being overlooked for attention, or have no real connection or family encouragement to steer them in the right direction. And she's been able to now rise above this experience where it took time, but you can see how vulnerable this situation is and how, whether it's people selling drugs or alcohol or abusing uh, women in this degree, is where every person especially a young lady, is looking for someone to love them. And uh, they're willing to, unfortunately, go to extremes to get it if they can't find it in a normal uh, setting. To be placed in a family where 
you go from no family uh, values to extreme family values isn't the answer either. She always felt like she was just a piece of property owned by the government even before all of this happened. So what's the difference if she's a piece of property of the government or if she's a piece of property of some pimp? She never felt like a person. And that's part of the problem is that you can have government help to a degree, but it's got to be also genuine and where it's realistic and where it's supportive and not where they're just a number and where just end up a statistic that way as well. With the right encouragement, she's working, but she's not working as a piece of property any longer. She's working as a person, trying to help other people as a person. There's a lot of girls that are reaching out to her that are also just trapped with all of her experiences and running from all across the globe to escape and to also find herself. I thought it was very interesting that her original parents were ended up going to Thailand doing some work and for her to find herself also and feel some type of comfort level of her original family was she also went out to Thailand and tried to even make a family out there in Thailand of all places. I found that to be very interesting. Isn't it funny how we want to go back to our roots? That had some positive meaning to her. And she, again, searched for it many years later. What else is interesting, too, is now that she's incorporated Tantra into her serving women, and she's trying to tap into what she learned in Thailand and that feminine energy. She was trying to also say that she used her sexuality as a tool, almost like, again, being a piece of property being used. Once she found comfort in her sexuality as well, she was able to have a more meaningful relationship, not only with others, but with herself. Once she found that her sexuality can be a good thing and a positive thing and something that she could enjoy, she kept bringing up that she needed to find herself and be a person. And I think that that is really the message, is that if you can find yourself and get encouraged, whether it's from a parent or a grandparent, or whether it's from friends and family, or whether it's a Tony Robbins in this case, I love that you said that Tony really encouraged her to be who she was. That was very, very big. So that's two points for Tony Roberts. Grooming on men's below the belt area? Hell yeah. Bring on Manscaped. Custom tools and care designed for your specialized needs. And ours too. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BCD. If you found that entertaining, don't forget to subscribe. Add Better Call Daddy podcast on IG. Need some advice from daddy? Let's connect at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.